Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, stopping the insider threat is getting harder and harder. The data problem that could hold back your agency's cyber work and the view from the top for government's zero trust efforts. It's Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Cloudera. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Mona Harrington's the new associate director at the National Risk Management Center at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. She's been acting associate director since March. She joined CISA in February as deputy associate director of the NRMC. The Department of Veterans Affairs will buy 140 electronic vehicle charging stations for 34 of its locations across the country. It's making the buy in a partnership with the General Services Administration. The charging stations are solar-powered. All light-duty vehicles the government buys have to be zero emission by 2027, according to the Biden administration's federal sustainability plan. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Leaders from the Defense Department, CISA, and lots of other government agencies are coming to cyber talks this year it's happening next thursday october 20th at the waldorf astoria in downtown dc you can find a link to the agenda and registration in today's show notes at the daily scoop podcast.com Defense Department components aren't reporting insider threat information consistently. DOD's Inspector General finds some parts of the Pentagon took as long as two years to get that information where it needed to go. Renee Wynn is former chief information officer at NASA. Renee, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. This insider threat concept is not new to people like me that pay attention to the government and you who are practitioners in the federal government. What where are we now as far as detecting, mitigating insider threats and so on uh, with this challenge that is really difficult for everybody? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. And it's great to be with you again here today. Um, and, you know, happy new fiscal year to all the government listeners. You're glad they got a 10 week one. Uh, it always down to the wire with that one. So, you know, insider threat is to me, very fascinating. It, it has many of the same aspects of privacy and cybersecurity, and many incidents associated with insider threat are cybersecurity incidences. And some of the incidences of insider threat are intentional and malicious, and others are what I call ignoseconds, right? Oops, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done that. In the old days, it used to be the second you realized your car keys were on the inside of the car and you heard the lock thing. I don't know that that's still the case now as a button pusher to lock my car because I don't want that to happen. But let's just call them one is an ignosecond and one is very malicious and intentional with that. The report, it's hard to be in the arena. You mentioned I was a practitioner and had lots of Second highest uh, reports from the IG and GAO at NASA, the human exploration program was the higher one. Uh, so we kept good, I obviously kept good company when it came to this and, and NASA did get uh, a number of, of findings when it came to insider threat. And when you look at the intellectual property associated with space travel science from planetary investigations, asteroid smashing, right? Um, then you can see why the United States government and frankly, some high-end businesses are definitely a target. 
What does the insider threat landscape look like for someone who's trying to defend against it, Renee? What are the things that you and your colleagues, your peers take into account when you're trying to figure out the uh, innocent insider threat? I love that term, ignoseconds, um, when somebody in those ignoseconds does something dumb versus a malicious insider threat where you have somebody with a conscious effort to do something bad. Yeah. So it's all about layers, a defense perimeter and a proactive perimeter at that, you know, your defense now, you know, over a time that I was in the government, we went from having a perimeter, which was actually your network and, and all that was on it now, all the way out to your mobile devices, no matter where you are. So on the IGNO second, I think that one's a little bit easier to answer. It's not as nuanced is that's what it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and that's what the training is about, is to have people be um, conscious sometimes. I know I was unconscious sometimes doing email late at night. Conscientious, when you get a suspecting email or you start going into a system and all of a sudden it doesn't look right, you're now an unauthorized user into a system. You kind of accidentally got there. Somebody maybe made some changes and now you're accidentally in a place you ought not be, or you've clicked on a link and now you're seeing things that aren't, <laughs> that makes for a bad day in the cybersecurity team, mm -hmm. although probably not as bad a day as maybe an intrusion. And that, and so the igno seconds are, this is what cybersecurity awareness training is all about. Uh, the phishing that goes along with it, social phishing, right? You know, coming up to you um, at a cocktail party, hey, blah, blah, blah. And when they know a little bit too much about you, sure, you can stalk them on the internet, but you should be suspicious with that one. Mm -hmm. On the malicious side, this is personally, it's the fun stuff. Uh, and it's human behaviors again. Uh, this time it's very intentional. And so your tools can really help you. Ethical use of artificial intelligence, which looks at anomalous behaviors on your network. I might look at a pattern. Uh, boy, Renee, she's logging in at 2 a.m. She's done that a number of times. What's going on? And you know, the whole trend, I may have never logged in at 2 a.m. And NASA always knew where I was. So if I was overseas and they saw 2 a.m., okay, now it's just a time change. But if I'm in town and it's 2 a.m., they might be monitoring what I'm doing and, and see potential theft and the stealing of a rocket schematics because at home I want to build my own little launch pad. Not really. Um, but you, you've got to have the tools and it's layers of tools. You got to look at your sensitive data and make sure you're protecting that. And this includes classified data. Um, and then you do your cybersecurity awareness training so that everybody is really alert to social phishing, to the regular phishing that we all know so that you can prevent your ignoseconds. When you describe the potential tools that are necessary to, to protect against what you just described, it strikes me that the most important thing is, and, and you've told me about this before, this is not news, but automation is the, is the greatest tool in that toolbox right now because there's no possible way a human sitting in a sock can keep track of all of that stuff anymore. You're absolutely right, Francis. You think of the amount of data that comes off a network, comes off of a, a mobile device, comes off uh, the computers you and I are using right now. There is so much data, Internet of Things. Just as an example, 
the um, Artemis mobile launch unit that we've all seen, and hopefully we're going to see here again here for a November launch, um, that has 400,000 sensors on it. Imagine the data. That's just those sensors, let alone all the other data for a complex uh, piece of technology, such as the mobile launch unit. If you don't synthesize using artificial intelligence and robotics and all of that, you're going to miss really, literally, the needle in the haystack. And that's what these tools can do for you. And, and I'm heartened to see that more and more agencies are definitely using this uh, and, and trying to find those oddities to protect whatever you need to protect. So the, the over-the-horizon challenge then, I think, Renee, is... So you know the old saying, uh, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. And phishing works because people click on the links and so on and so forth, despite the best efforts of both government organizations, private sector organizations to train their people. People are people, and they do dumb things sometimes. As the training hopefully improves, as the knowledge in the individuals hopefully improves, and I'm not just referring to phishing, but to any of these threats broadly, what should somebody who's in the shoes that you were in before say at, at a government agency, what should that person be thinking about now as the next possible thing? Because if the money's not there anymore, the bad guys won't come to rob the bank. They'll move to the next potential target. And I'm, I'm wondering how you war game what the next potential target is as training and the uptake on the training improves. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the, you know, the, Money's in the bank. Cyber incidences, when they are malicious and intentional, are driven by fun, fame, and fortune, or a combination of what I just said. So you're still, especially in the United States government, you're still going to have people trying to get in to prove that they can. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if there's nothing to get. They could be training themselves. Or they could just be doing, hey, I just broke into the National Archives and got to see Madison's flute. Of course, you could have just watched Twitter and see Madison's flute. But hey, you know, people do things for fun, fame and fortune, different motivations and that. So you have to just always be alert. The second piece is for training is gamify it. We all love games. We learn better with games have people be part of the whole process. And now you'll raise up the level of all of your employees and your contractors that are on your network. Thirdly, I'll go to, we just can't believe that our colleagues would do this stuff, especially if it's malicious, get over that. Um, they will. Uh, we have at NASA, there's a few reports out there of people intentionally, uh, one particular incident was from China, intentionally got hired to work at a NASA facility and ultimately steal how the, you know, many elements of a space program just walked right out with it uh, and happened for a very long time and finally do this. So now you have to have partnerships. What are your contractors doing? How are your contractors vetting their people? Physical security. What are you giving people access to in buildings? And then your network security is what are you giving people access to? The tools these days allow you to be really sophisticated, and that is if you're not supposed to get into the Acme rocket launcher system, it's going to be really hard to pound into that one. I happen to know that 
just because layers and layers and layers of defense. And frankly, the system's not on the internet. So that helps too. So you have layers of defense, understand what your risks are, assume, assume positive intent about your colleagues. But if you're in the cybersecurity world, you should assume everybody's trying to get your stuff so they can prove that they're, you know, they can prove something about that. And then you have to have partnerships across the different, you know, physical security uh, partnerships with your mission counterparts and things like that. So you can put the right things in place. The idea is to prevent as much as you possibly can, but nothing is foolproof. I just got an email in here a second ago, Renee, that says I have the blueprint for the Acme rocket launcher if Renee needs it and it's signed Wiley Coyote. So I can, <laughs> I can pass that along to you in a moment. Me, me. That's right. Um, Thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you. It was a, it was an absolute pleasure, Francis. You can find a link to the DODIG report on insider threats in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Navy's putting the finishing touches on its new cyber strategy. The acting chief information security officer of the Navy, Tony Plater, says artificial intelligence and automation will be two key pieces. Rob Carey is president of Cloudera Government Solutions. He's former chief information officer of the Navy and former principal deputy CIO of the Defense Department. Cloudera sponsors today's Daily Scoop podcast. Rob, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You're writing about the connection between cybersecurity and data. And you're right, data can make what is impossible today possible tomorrow. What are the tools that you're seeing agencies either using or asking about to make that connection happen in the future that's not possible today. Welcome. Yeah, th uh, thank you, Francis. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, it's interesting you watch how cyber has been done for the last 30 years and everybody has a firewall, everybody's intrusion detection, everybody has identity management tools. So you have this host of very common tools out there, which all are acquiring, manipulating and analyzing data to then produce a result uh, hopefully in real time or near real time that enables uh, the SOC boss to be able to decide, take an appropriate action, disposition some malware or, or not. Disposition means you can take it offline or you can let the transaction go through. So, so you're sort of recognizing by default that this is a data problem. And, it, and because of the volume of data that rolls into a network, uh, especially from all of its endpoints, you know, all of your endpoints create uh, hundreds of thousands of log files about what's going on. And then being able to then consume that volume of data uh, does require, I think, uh, a different look at the problem. Uh, uh, and what I mean by that is the tools that we use in cyber today, yes, they handle data, but they are not necessarily big data platforms that can deal with petabytes at a time or even more and still not be effective, right? They can still operate at optimum speed and, 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 and effectiveness. And so to me, staring at that problem as if, hmm, how can I take advantage of big data platforms to enable the cybersecurity tool set that I have to work better? You alluded a moment ago to the fact that we're doing cyber the same way we've done it for the last 30 years, and you write about that in this piece. Why is that? And how did we get there? Is this a vision problem? Is this a strategy problem? Is this a technology problem? Or is it not a problem? Is it just the way it is? Um, how do you say all of the above? <laughs> um, it's a little bit of each, uh, Francis. I, I think that 
you know, if you're a CISO and you come in and relieve somebody, you're inheriting the toolbox that he or she, his predecessor put in place, and then you try to improve. Now, there, again, we everyone's had firewalls since the dawn of time. Everyone's had intrusion detection systems since we can remember. Um, and so you have to realize like, okay, there's a set of performance that comes out of the, the you know, toolbox that you have that uh, you can expect to achieve. Uh, measuring in cyber is hard. Measuring the effectiveness of the toolbox, uh, because remember, the bad guys uh, only have to be good once. Uh, the defenders, the good guys have to be great every time. And so to me, you know, to, to enable real-time decision-making is important. Uh, some of the tools are, are better than others at that, but but it does seem like, as I go back in my career, since let's just say the year 2000 and now only at 20 some years, basically the infrastructure is the same. And, and so it is, it is moved forward evolutionarily, right? Steps at a time, each tool has its next version, a set of quality, uh, uh, improved quality assurance in it. But at the same time, you got to do something different. You have to be able to then, how do I add something into this mix to demonstrably improve its effectiveness, Right. And that's really the question. So it's not a, it's not a, it's it's literally all the above. I mean, sometimes you need more money. Sometimes you need to start the problem differently. And I think today we're starting that with AI and ML to be able to use those technologies to teach them through a model what they are looking for from a behavioral standpoint, not from a signature standpoint. You know, we do a lot of signature-based stuff today in cyber. That's what patching is all about. The reason you patch is you already have a signature and you have a fix. So you push that. Um, today, you have to get faster than that. We have to be able to make a decision, disposition malware before it does its its thing. And, and so automation comes to play. AI today is that technology that can be utilized to initiate automated dispositioning of malware. I like the way you tee that up in this piece and you just teed it up that way a moment ago, Rob. You write, cyber's been done essentially the same way as it's been done for 30 years. Next paragraph, AI, and because the reason that I that jumped out at me, by the way, is because I always think if you keep doing the same thing you're doing, you'll keep getting the same thing you've been getting. So the next paragraph, then you refer as you just did, Artificial intelligence and machine learning are technologies that demonstrate promise toward enabling humans to perform higher level functions and move past signature tracking as the only way to begin to get ahead of malicious cyber threats. That strikes me as nirvana here that we're going for, because I mean, for all the 16 years I've been in the space, I ask cyber people all the time, is there ever potential to get ahead of the curve, to get ahead of the bad guys? And everybody always says, well, there may be at some point, and we're not sure how to do that. And it sounds like we're getting to a point where these predictive technologies and the analytics tools that the data provides will potentially give agencies that edge. Am I reading you right? Am I hearing you right? I, I believe that, Francis. Um, I believe this is the technology that demonstrates the promise of the ability to automate some of the decision making so that now the people in the security operations center can focus their human eyes on more complex problems. But at the same time, make no bones about it, teaching and training algorithms to operate in cyberspace in a predictive manner is very, very complicated business. It is not a simple uh, couple of days we're off, off and running. That's not it. It's very complicated to find uh, you know, the slightly bent needle in the stack of 7 billion needles that are coming through your firewalls. 
So um, to me, it does show that promise. That's the important part is there's a technology that can be leveraged to deliver outcomes that are faster than the bad guy could turn that outcome on. That's what really we're trying to do, try to get inside the bad guy's OODA loop before the code can execute bad things happen. All right. And so then you've, you're putting the pieces together well for me here because you and other really smart people about this, Jack Shanahan, Bob Work, and others tell me all the time that if AI and machine learning are the vehicles that get us to the state that we want to reach, then the fuel in that vehicle is the data. And that's, that's, the, that's the piece that you're putting together. That's correct. The challenge is, do you ingest and suck in all the data? Do you try to cleanse it first? Do you try to you know, organize, align it, whatever you want to call it, before you serve it up to the algorithms to then run on it? You really, the more data, the more depth and breadth of data that you have in cyberspace, the harder it is for the algorithms to then sort to what you want. The more you've cleansed it, you know, into wheat and chaff, right? You can then have the algorithms look at the wheat, leave the chaff alone, and and now you would enable that engine to run better, faster, cheaper than it would um, if it was looking at everything, trying to disposition all data. So so that's why this becomes a complicated process. And then, of course, you're looking for very very sophisticated needles in the haystack of needles that then require you to then, as you sort your wheat from your chaff, if you will, that you the things are not cut out that you wanna be able to disposition and the things that you wanna keep in are there. So so the data, pro it is a data problem. It has a big volume to it. Uh, the larger the network uh, surface area, the more data is coming in. And then of course now, we all know because of some of the presidential executive orders that we need to do continuous monitoring. So once we have all this stuff, and, and maybe something slides in and it's it was there two months ago. Okay, am I comparing something that just came through the firewall today against something that came through in August? You really would like to do that and do a, a very quick correlation and then go, uh-oh, we got a plant and now we, we have an ability to correlate that to something that came in and then take the appropriate action, whatever that may be. One final point of clarification, I jotted down as you posed the question a few moments ago about cleaning up the data, um, I jotted down rhetorical question mark because I, I thought you were posing that as a rhetorical question and it sounds like the answer to that is a resounding yes. You need to clean that data up in order to be yes. able to use it most effectively, right? Yes, you need it. We, we call it you're enriching the data to be able to be uh, used by algorithms and the model that you've scripted and then have it work. You just, you know, we just don't throw data in and it and it comes out like we like it. You actually have to organize and enrich the data, uh, align it so that the models that you've trained to look for certain things will work. And that's uh, anything but simple, but it still shows a great deal of promise in the field of cybersecurity. Rob Carey, great insight as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on the program today. Thanks for having me, Francis. Appreciate it. You can find a link to our video interview with Tony Plater of the Navy on their cyber strategy in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Office of the Federal Chief Information Officer has taken the acting off the title of the Acting Director of Federal Cybersecurity. Mitch Herkus has that job permanently now. He tells Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash executing the vision of the White House Zero Trust Executive Order will take a comprehensive approach. Our goal is to really raise the baseline over the next few years. And 
everybody's starting in a different place with different parts of that journey, right? So it's hard to say really, you know, this is the one challenge, but, you know, if we're going to kind of take it from a strategic standpoint, I would say, you know, the decades of technical debt that have been ignored for far too long is the top of the list. And that manifests itself in various ways where agencies are unable to implement certain security measures as a result of that. So, you know, I think it's, why it's so important for us to think of this as such a cohesive strategy in line with their broader IT development strategy and how they are thinking about not just their cybersecurity pot as a whole and how they strategically invest that, but also how they're investing in their overall IT modernization. And to, you know, there's a lot of ways we're trying to help them overcome those challenges, and I'm sure we'll talk about a few of those today. But you know, some of that has to be you know putting investments into those IT modernization efforts, and we're also trying to help agencies through that sort of um, effort through things like the Technology Modernization Fund, which is able to provide real money that agencies may not have been able to access over multi years in the past to enact infrastructure changes. You know, those may not have been able to happen otherwise without that kind of uh, investment. So that's been a real win. Um, you know, we expect, you know, real big things of the agencies over the next two years. It's an aggressive timeline. So as I'm sure you can imagine, that's going to, uh, it's going to take time. It's going to be one of those things that agencies are going to have questions about, but we are engaging with them, ensuring that we are moving in the right direction. Well, and certainly um, you're right. Agencies are starting from a lot of different uh, starting points. But um, as you continue to interact with them and look ahead to the fiscal 24 uh, kind of objectives, um, what additional measures uh, do you envision uh, OMB taking to help address those challenges? Yeah. So, you know, that help has already been on the way. And like from day one of putting out uh, M2209, the zero trust strategy, we really uh, started um, talking to agencies of the expectations. But then as we received their zero trust implementation plans, uh, we kind of immediately started engaging in deep dives with them. We put together a, a cross-functional uh, team of subject matter experts, included folks from our office in the Office of Management and Budget, folks from CISA, folks from the Office of the National Cyber Director. And we did deep dives with every agency. And uh, those conversations are continuing, frankly, to this day. Uh, every agency has had kind of their team and ours sit down, at least go through their plan once. If there were questions we had, we tried to ensure there was clarity. If there were opportunities to uh, make the plan even better, we worked together on that. And then from there, you know, we're trying to set up the long-term support for actually doing these implementations, right? Not just setting them up on the right path, but also providing that issue expertise. That involves um, qualitative conversations with communities of practice with their peers, where there's opportunities for us to get together and have conversations around who is taking what approaches and looking towards those leading practices. And out of that, we see some pilots coming out that may, you know, really lead the government in trying to do things like phishing resistant MFA across the enterprise in ways that um, are more rapid and um, seamless for the user. So uh, we're really uh, excited about the energy we've seen from agencies and um, continue to work with them on solutioning where we see problems. 
Absolutely. And that sounds encouraging. Um, you know, one of the other discussions that we hear often is the, uh, the challenge of balancing existing uh, security uh, requirements uh, with these sort of new directions. So, you know, as uh, agencies try to balance those concerns, um, how do you see um, the federal tr zero trust adoption kind of aligning with traditional FISMA and other security requirements that have, have kind of more traditionally been a check the box approach, since this is so much more of a holistic way of thinking about security. Yeah. So, you know, what, what we want to do at all costs is avoid check the box approaches. You know, we are very much uh, focused on outcomes and actions that are going to reduce the risk to the federal enterprise. And that's why, you know, we've started already prior to this uh, shifting our metrics in FISMA uh, last year to focus on outcomes. And we're gonna to continue to push into the future on reducing those kind of burdensome check the box exercises for agencies so they can really focus their personnel on the real security measures that need to get done. Now, there's a lot of ways we can do that. We can do that through automation. We can do that through um, you know, ensuring that the questions we ask are things that are actionable and not repetitive in any way or duplicative of information that can be attained elsewhere by us. Um, there's a number of ways we can do that. But in the end, what's most important is that we ask the right questions that are aligned with the outcomes we want to see. And those, uh, in many cases, are around zero trust. So, you know, we've been doing the things like um, ensuring that the questions we ask are aligned to the zero trust um, M22 uh, effort. And we started that last year. And now that M2209 is out, we can continue that process. Um, but I think over time, you know, we will just continue to ensure that the more we can turn these questions into things that are just uh, either simple because they are already fulfilled because agencies are providing that information through machine readable formats, or alternatively, um, we minimize the other ones to just the needs that we need to ensure we have appropriate visibility into their actions. Uh, then lastly, um, how would you say OMB is uh, attempting to help agencies, uh, number one, identify implementation gaps, and two, you know, ensure that they're able to lay the right foundational tools for things like visibility and analytics and orchestration and automation across zero, zero trust so that they can indeed get a big picture view of their security posture? So, you know, there are multiple ways, and it starts with the one-on-one -on -one conversations our teams are having with CIOs and CISOs, and the, frankly, the guidance and community built through the CIO and CISO councils as well, frankly. Um, I think at, it also comes with our facts. You know, as I mentioned, we're shifting FISMA to focus on outcomes, right? And the data which we get from there leads to conversations that allows us to build context and also qualitative data, frankly, and understanding of what gaps might exist. Um, we are partnering with CISA so we can understand and compare notes on what they're seeing on deployment of critical tool sets, you know, such as those in the CDM program, the continuous diagnosis, and this, I always say this wrong, continuous diagnostics and mitigation program. Um, but, you know, we also are working with our colleagues at the Office of the National Cyber Director. Um, you know, federal, uh, the federal CISO, Chris Russia is dual-hatted there um, as the Deputy National Cyber Director for Federal Cybersecurity. So working across all these groups, we're able to kind of engage with agencies in a holistic manner and talk to them about 
what they are seeing and ensure that we are um, really understanding as an entirety how they are approaching these and um, ensuring also that CISA is getting the visibility they need to really work with agencies and understand at an operational level what's going on. Um, there's no silver bullet here, obviously, for figuring out, you know, getting that enterprise-wide visibility. You have to think of each of these agencies as major organizations in their own right, with their own complexities and their own unique missions, very often, typically multiple missions. Um, but, you know, this hard work, this continuous work of conversation and dialogue and getting understanding and then building the right tools underneath that, whether it be with CISA or um, within the agencies themselves, uh, really does give that kind of visibility and coordination uh, necessary. Mitch Herkus, the director of federal cybersecurity with FedScoop's Wyatt Cash. You can find a link to the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.